Hey everybody, welcome to episode 19 of the podcast that goes Nick. I'm your host, Jason Minimal. In this episode, we have all things Wolverine for February of 2013, which is a lot. <laughs> so we're going to jump right in. As soon as this intro is over, we will start. All right, here we go. Okay, so first up we have Savage Wolverine number two. This is Savage Part Two, uh, written in art by Frank Cho. Jason Keith is the colorist. VCs Corey Pettit is the letterer, and the cover is by Cho and Keith. And this cover is awesome. It's fantastic. Cho really does draw quite an amazing Wolverine. And it's kind of the same thing as number one. Um, we have like just a regular comic book, fully drawn, fully colored, fully inked Wolverine. And he's kind of stepping towards you and he's got a nice grimace on his face and he's got the claws popped. It's really, really nice. And then the background is kind of sketchy again with kind of the I guess it's not monochromatic because it's green and blue and black, but kind of off color. Everything is kind of one color. You have the uh, chief guy in the back and some dinosaurs and a lizard. Then She-Devil sketched out. And then you have Shanna across the bottom and another kind of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue pose. Yeah, and you have Wolverine kind of in front of all that. So it's a really, really nice cover. It's fantastic. It really is. So, we go to this, we're in the Savage Land, of course, still, and there's a field, and it's empty, and then there's a flash of light, and a sonic boom, and there's a guy in it, and it's Amadeus Cho, and he gets attacked by some savages, and I don't, he says skin, and he gets a force field, I don't really know Amadeus Cho that much, um, I know he was in some of the World War Hulk stuff that I read. He's kind of one of the, the supporting cast members in that, but I don't... That's really about all I could tell you. <laughs> he didn't make that much of an impression on me. But he's going to be in this story, and I don't understand how his powers work, but apparently he has some kind of like... It's called Calvin, and it's some kind of AI something, or... Something that he's hooked up into and it, it gives him powers and readouts and stuff like that. I know he's supposed to be really smart, so maybe it's something he invented. I don't know. Anyway, he turns on his force field and starts fighting the savages. 
And then we hit where we left off last issue when Wolverine falls in the sky. And the narration here is very um, crime noirish, kind of pulpy. <laughs> you know, he's falling and he's thinking to himself, The morning sun, I'm sorry, it should be your gruff detective voice. The morning sun peeks behind the horizon, blushing the sky. The wind whistles high-pitched notes in my ears as I tumble down to earth. Then we see him fall through a bunch of trees, get cut up. He goes, hell of a way to start the morning. <laughs> and just, I, I can hear it in my head like an old movie. You know, just the very detailed narration, uh, talking about your surroundings. Like he mentions the wind whistling high-pitched. I'm sure Joe's doing it on purpose, and I like it, but it's very much like, I don't know. Just a film noir kind of thing going on, a pulp magazine. It's cool. It works. We have Wolverine kind of giving the narration there. And he lands on the jungle floor, and of course it hurts. <laughs> and he gets a stick in his side, and he goes, Cripes! Again with the cripes. What are the odds? It's in the same bleep hole where Shanna stabbed me. It's never going to heal right. And he pulls it out. And so apparently this this branch got stuck in his old wound from when Shanna stabbed him with the spear. <laughs> he goes, better pull it out before the wound closes around it. Cripes, never going to heal right. And then he cusses really loud. He's kind of standing there and he wants to give his body time to heal, but then he remembers, oh wait, he's got to go save, not shave. <laughs> Ooh, that almost took a really bad turn. <laughs> he's not going to shave, shave Shanna. He's gonna go. He's gonna go save Shanna from the uh, pterodactyl men, and of course she he finds her and she's finding him, and she calls him an ugly pigeon. Then Wolverine steps up and he's like, "All right, round two. And he pops the claws. And he says, "Let's dance, bub," which I like because I love when Wolverine says "bub." But apparently he's a little woozy and hasn't healed all the way. This pterodactyl guy kicks his ass. And then he kind of gets up and he tries to fight again, but he gets real woozy as he gets punched a couple more times. And this scene is really nice with the pterodactyl kind of coming at him. But right when he's about to kind of get, not done in because he's Wolverine, but in a pretty bad situation with the pterodactyl guys, suddenly they get shot up with a big machine gun. And Shannon says, round three. And she's standing up. She's got a, a big old assault rifle. Wolverine's like, why didn't you tell me you had a gun? And she says, I have a gun. <laughs> and he goes, any more? And she's like, well, plenty, but they're useless because we're out of ammo. Then we go back to Amadeus Cho, and he's talking to his computer or whatever it is. He's taking out all the tribesmen. And basically, he's... He, there's a the guy Calvin tells him there's a dampening field in the area so he can't have full access to everything so he has partial information and partial powers as opposed to whatever he normally has which I don't even know what that is so everything, everything to me is new power but whatever but he finds a patch from one of the guys and it's a shield patch so he realizes he's in trouble and so Wolverine and Shannon are going to try to make a plan they have lots of uh, barbs, a lot of banner. They kind of go back and forth. Wolverine gets mad at her for being chatty because he's trying to concentrate and come up with a plan. 
<laughs> he goes, does Silas offend you, woman? I need to focus. I mean it. No more distractions. And then the sky falls open and starts pouring immediately. And then she, <laughs> there's a frame with no dialogue and Wolverine's finger in her face and it's pouring down rain. And then Shannon goes, well, this is awkward. But <laughs> he goes, Wolverine, you're in the jungle. A hot chick in a leopard bikini and it starts raining. I think my uh, temper would cool off a little bit in that situation. And no, Wolverine's still grouchy. And then he decides they need to get to higher ground, but Shanna says she knows the jungle. And then she, the ground kind of mud slides away from her and she falls down. And then Wolverine tries to go after her, but he slips and literally crashes down the hill and does a face plant on the ground. And then Shannon gets his attention. They've landed by a dinosaur carcass being eaten by a bunch of little red feathery dinosaurs. And Wolverine's like, don't move a muscle. They all kind of turn and look. He goes, the key is to not make any sudden moves. Put them at ease. Let them know we're no threat. They'll be no ignores and go back to eating. Got it? No sudden move, Shanna. And he realizes she's not there. And he's like, Shanna? And he looks over his shoulder and Shanna is sprinting away. So he goes over and cusses again as all the dinosaurs attack him. Then we see Amadeus Cho finds the village. He demands to talk to the chief. He's waiting for his program to catch up and translate the language. The uh, chief comes up and heals a guy's wound. Uh, Amadeus Cho says it's impressive, shows him that he's in, and he's trying to display that he's in charge and has the power to heal. He goes, you demonstrated your authority and you showed me your power over life and death. Very clever. So he's trying to understand the guy. And then he decides that he's going to pull a C-3PO. And he has minor levitation powers left, so he floats. Oh, and of course, he's in a suit. I forgot to mention that. So, he's in the Savage Land in a business suit. But of course, he floats. And then his translator kicks in, and the chief bows down and says, Are you a god? And and Cho is like, Am I a god? Yes, I am. (laughs) One of the tribesmen says, He's too short to be a god. I bet he's only half god. (laughs) So, Cho delivers on the humor. Uh, oh, there's a part on the previous page where he's he's explaining his name. And he's like, like, rock me, Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus. So we switch back to Wolverine. And he gets away from the dinosaurs and he runs and gets cornered in a crevice. Then suddenly the dinosaurs all have spears through their mouth. And Shannon jumps down. Like, that was easy. <laughs> And Wolverine gets bags. She used him as bait. And they kind of stab at each other again verbally. And Wolverine goes, you need to work on your people skills, lady. And Shannon says, I need to work on my people skills. And they see the weird looking mountain again. They looks like man thing. And they start heading towards it. So that's it. Um, Some good action. Some good humor. Like I said, I like the narration. The art. Is fantastic. I love Frank Cho. His art is really, really good. Now the story was good. You know, I don't really know what uh, Cho brings to the table yet, or what his purpose in the story is. But I'm assuming we'll find out. So that part was kind of okay. But I'm, I'm, 
trusting that it's going to go somewhere. I thought Wolverine and Shannon kind of uh, being pissy with each other was funny. Uh, lots of good, like I said, lots of good action, humor, dialogue, character development. Plot moves forward a little bit. Not much in this issue, but that's okay. I'm going to give Savage Wolverine number two. You know, I was kind of getting, I was leaning towards giving it two claws, but after talking about it and laughing at some of the uh, humor again and just, you know, the flip through reading it kind of fast, like I just kind of did, really shows how much the action pops and kind of how fast paced it is. So that's good. So I'm going to, I'm going to bump it up a little bit and give Savage Wolverine number two, three out of three claws. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, move on. Um, interested to see what happens next, and we'll find out. Number three, still wondering about this mountain. Though it's like man thing, if that's just coincidence or it's related somehow. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, uh, Savage Wolverine number two, three out of three claws. All right, cool. Okay, and now it's time for our segment and the X Men. We have Wolverine and the X Men number twenty-five, the big twenty-fifth issue. It is called Survival 101. It is written by Jason Aaron. The art is by Ramon Perez. Colors by Laura Martin. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And the cover is by Perez and Laura Martin. And there's a quote-unquote Things to Come variant cover by Ed McGinnis and Maury Hollowell. I think I saw that in one of the solicitations, but it didn't really catch my eye one way or the other. Not to say I'm not a McGinnis fan. I am. I just don't really remember what was on the cover. It did not make a lasting impression. But I'm sure it was pretty good, as most McGinnis covers are. Um, okay, cool. With a cover by... Ooh, my voice cracked. <laughs> The cover by Perez and Martin is pretty nice. We have Wolverine with a team of students in the Savage Land fighting a big red T-Rex. And then we have Quentin Quire shooting a psionic shotgun. Wolverine has his foot in the dinosaur's mouth. Brew is on a leash, but he got loose. I really like the old school, like, um, the 25 has like a big, I don't know, what do you call those things? The red... I guess exploding off the page kind of thing. There's probably a term for that, but I don't know what it is. But that's cool. I mean, it's not really like an exercise issue, but it's kind of reminiscent of, you know, kind of special number issues. Then the bot across the bottom of the cover, we have iBoy holding an iPhone. There's a picture that I guess he took right before the T-Rex showed up. Because Brew is barking, he's on a leash. And Glob Herman has a look of shock on his face as he's looking off to the side like, Ah! What's that? Uh, Quentin Quire is flipping us off. Um, it's pixelated, not so not to offend young readers at the comic shop. Everybody else looks pretty happy except for Wolverine who has is holding Brew's leash. It's very creepy because, you know, iBoy has eyes all over him. I don't know if they're like consistently in the same place or not. I don't know if that even really matters. But in this cover, you see his hands around the phone. And the pointer finger on his right hand has an eyeball on the fingertip. And it looks really creepy. Because it goes immediately into the fingernail. Like this finger still has a fingernail. But then the very tip of it is an eyeball. It's very nice 
um, creep factor there on the cover. Okay, so we start off in the Canadian Rockies. We have a guy in a cabin with a serious, I guess that's a Scottish beard. That's the one that there's a beard everywhere but the chin, right? Anyway, and the pro wrestler beard. <laughs> we have a guy eating some stuff. He's got a bunch of pictures and articles of Wolverine on the wall. Then we get a whoosh. And kind of the bluish green glow. And we have, hello dog. And the guy says he wished he would have known company was coming. He would have uh, saved some beer. And apparently he was symbolically getting ready by literally cooking an actual wolverine in the fire and he's eating that and this guy is himself from the future telling coming to tell him that today is the day that he finds wolverine and gets him which if it was really the day wouldn't it just happen i'm not sure why he needs to come back and tell him but Anyway, and he mentions the diamonds, which I'm assuming are the diamonds from the Jason Aaron story, since he's writing this. The Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, where uh, Wolverine and Spider-Man had these diamonds that they chased through time, kind of time-traveling diamonds. So the future dog refers to that. He has an eye patch, and he's bald, but he still has the big old uh, beard. And he's come to give his old self a hard time, Telling him it's time to man up and finally do this thing. He tells him it'll be in the Savage Land. Your brother's already on his way there. And the guy says, well, can't you tell me how I do it? And he's like, oh, I could. But you wouldn't be much of a Logan unless you earned it yourself. So we realize this is um, Wolverine's half-brother from the origin story. The really awesome miniseries that explained uh, Wolverine's uh, mutation. And, and the future dog talks about how... Ask him if he's forgotten everything our father taught us. And he goes, the only thing that man ever taught me was how to take a beating. And Future Dog's like, no, he taught you how to give one. And Dog says something interesting. He says, I've been to the future too. There's no record of my death in this century or any other. Do I ever make it home? Does he ever end up in a permanent place? But Future Dog is gone. <laughs> and he, he the our our dog says great a grow to be a beep so choose your expletive of choice there so he decides he's gonna hand head to the savage land for a logan family reunion and we skip to the savage land and we have wolverine with a group of students it's gonna be his trouble students and they're here for a survival 101 class with professor wolverine Pass, and you never have to take another class with me again. Fail, and you may not leave this jungle alive. And Wolverine was kind of weird in this panel. And I gotta say, I wasn't. I know he's done another couple issues. I wasn't sure about Perez's art at first. But it kind of grew on me through this issue. Not, still not like super like excited. Like, oh, I gotta tell everybody about this guy. But, you know. I'm going to give it a good chance. And it definitely, I felt like, got better as the issue went on. So anyway, we have Wolverine and the students talking and the shark girl in her humanoid form asking, didn't our professor just threaten to kill us? And Quentin says, welcome to my world, Jabber Jaws. He threatened to kill me five times just on the plane ride here. And the girl with the, the dragonfly girl is like, ooh, yeah, 
yeah, just like I imagine American schools to be. Threats of violence, disrespectful students. Evan, Genesis, Kid Apocalypse, asks if they've done anything wrong. And Wolverine explains, if you're here, it means you're in trouble or you're new, or maybe I just don't like you very much. In short, you're the kids at the school with the most to learn. And you will, I can promise you that. You learn the same way I did when I was your age. So basically, he's going to give them a survival test. And he says that they have to work as a group. That the Blackbird is hovering ahead, overhead on autopilot. And it will land in a pre-disclosed location in exactly 24 hours. But only Wolverine knows where the rendezvous point is. So this assignment is simple. Stick with him as a group and follow him to the rendezvous point. But they have to stay together. Either everybody gets on the plane or nobody does. So... He tells them that, all right, now we're starting. And Quentin Quire asking a question. He says, what exactly qualifies you, the world's most famous mutant loner and disgruntled teammate, to teach us to be a pack? At what bastion of education did you receive your training? I will say this, this is where the art kind of started to turn for me. Wolverine kind of growls and looks out of the corner of his eye, and in the black part of his mask, of his cow, we see his kind of thought, and we see a very young James Howitt slash Logan slash grow, I'm going to grow up to be Wolverine, running through the woods with wolves, like after he kind of ran away from home, after he popped his claws the first time. It's a very nice panel, really cool, and really kind of turned me around in the art a little bit. Wolverine says, he doesn't vocalize any of that. He just turns and says, like I said, all you have to do is follow me. Simple enough, right? We get our first snicked. And he stabs the dinosaur in the foot. The dinosaur goes crazy and runs off. And Wolverine's like, class starts now. And then we go to hours earlier at the Jean Grey school. And Beast is talking to Wolverine in the hangar. And he's like, are you sure this is a good idea? And Wolverine's like, no, but I'm doing it anyway. Beast is like, Logan, I'm serious. Our last field trip ended with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and abducting Evan. Of course, referring to the end of Uncanny X-Force, the last series. And, you know, after their attack on Brew, we know the Hellfire Club is targeting, targeting our students as well. And then God knows what Cyclops and his people are up to. Is now really the best time for something like this? And Wolverine says, it's exactly the time, Hank. Because of all the reasons you just mentioned. If these kids don't learn to stand together sooner or later, one of them's going to end up dead. So I thought, I thought they both had good points. I'm kind of leaning a little more towards the Logan's point. They need to do something. They can't just... I agree with Beast. They need to be protected more now than ever. But I don't think they can just sit around inside the school and form like a compound. They have to learn how to engage real life as well, and that means learning to work together and blah, blah, blah. And Wolverine uh, reinforces to Beast that he would die before he let anything happen to the kids. And he says, besides, it's just a savage land. A jungle with some dinosaurs. These kids can handle that in their sleep. <laughs> and Beast is like, the scary part is you're right. And so we kind of list the kids he's going to take. Um, ID and Genesis are showing some troubling signs of late. Uh, Glob Herman's been a bad student. <laughs> that even refers to a, as a possible lost, lost cause. 
Choir goes without saying. Then he wants to take the new kids. The transfers from Utopia are doing okay. But the three newest mutants, you know, after AVX from New Mutants started manifesting, are having trouble fitting in. If he says, fine, if you're going to do this, I want you to take one more student. And we see that Brew is on, ID has him on a leash and he's growling like a dog. And so apparently, remember after he got shot in the head, went in a coma, we woke up, now he's super feral. And Beast is hoping that getting back out with the students will help awaken his old self. Beast talks about how it's been a rough couple of months. Professor X dies. Scott goes crazy. Brood gets shot. He even misses Kid Gladiator, which he refers to as the repulsive Shi'ar kid. And it says he feels like they're losing traction, that they're going backwards. And Wolverine's famous last word says, Don't worry, Hank. I'm going to handle this. A little trip to the Savage Land is exactly what these kids need to get on track. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, right. So we go back to the present. And the kids have already lost Wolverine in the Savage Land. But they're fighting off dinosaurs and they're kind of working together. We have Quentin Quire with his psionic shotgun. Everybody else fighting. Uh, Choir refers to X-Men history. <laughs> it says, being trapped in a prehistoric jungle is practically an X-Men rite of passage. So they realize they've lost Wolverine. There's a T-Rex eating other dinosaurs and trying to eat the X-Kids. Then Quentin Choir telepathically convinces the dinosaur with the small brain, the big one, to go find anything that looks Canadian and kill it. <laughs> So the, the dinosaur starts sniffing. Apparently he's got a trail. Evan is trying to prove that he's not a screw-up. Glob Herman says it beats algebra any day. Ivy gets on to Brew for eating a dinosaur. Now go find Professor Logan. And Brew's like... <laughs> and then, this is funny, they kind of refer to him. Like, Ivy, who has a lot of sympathy and empathy for Brew and may or may not have feelings for him, or uh, at least misguided feelings because she feels responsible. But she's already kind of referring to him as a dog. She has him on a leash. And then she's like, hey, Brew's got something. He's got a scent. Good brood. Lead on, boy. Uh, kind of weird. but um. So Shark Girl asks if he's an alien dog. And then we get a nice little pun. And because Quentin Choir says, believe it or not, he used to be a teacher's pet. Little rim shot there. Then he says, until he got shot in the head. No one ever mentioned how people are always trying to kill us at this school. They should probably put that bit in the orientation. And I really like the art on this one because we've had, you know, you can get like blams and snaps. We've had a lot of Batman uh, sound effects in this book so far, which is cool. I like that. But here we get a big blam, but above it in smaller letters it says psionic. Which I thought that was really funny and really cool. So he's shooting his gun, his uh, telepathic gun, and it says, Psionic Blam! I thought that was really funny. I liked it. So hours later, they find Brew and the other big dinosaur that Quentin Choir sent to chase Wolverine, but the dinosaur is dead and Brew's eating it, and Glob Herman's going to eat dinosaur guts 
says it's not so bad once you pick out the maggots. Shark Girl says she's had enough of these kids. She's going to go out on her own. Eye Boy protest. Uh, Genesis is lamenting the fact that he's here because he's always tried hard to do everything right. Glob Herman needles him about being Kid Apocalypse. It tells him to cut the crap and just turn into a supervillain already. And Kid Apocalypse, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Evan protests. And Glob Herman's like, are you crying right now? You're seriously going to be the worst apocalypse ever. And Quentin Quire knows that the group is falling apart. And he decides he's got to take charge. And then we flash back to hours earlier on the Blackbird. And Quentin Quire has his iPod plugged in and got his earbuds. We get a snicked, one claw popped. And Wolverine slices through in a very odd panel. Here, I didn't realize this the first time I read it. Alright, so in one panel we get a snicked with his right hand popping his first claw. And he puts his claw kind of by Quentin Quire's ear under the earbud cable. Then in the next panel he slices outward with his left hand. Um, someone should figure that out and send in and get a no prize. Because that's a mistake. Why would he pop a claw and get ready to cut? Oh, wait, I want to do it with my other hand. Or maybe his claw doesn't cut as well from the back side, from the top. He's like, oh, damn, wrong hand. And he pulls it out, puts the other hand in, and cuts the earbud. <laughs> there you go. No prize material right there. So he cuts, the, he cuts the earphone, and he leans up, and he says, Oh, good, you're not busy. Got a minute? And <laughs> Quick Choir's like, Shouldn't you be flying the plane? Wolverine's like, the plane knows its way to the Savage Land. And Quentin Quire's like, the Savage Land, how fitting. You and your new pet should fit right in. And Wolverine says, the one time Bruce sneaks out of school, that's what happens. What does that tell you? And Bruce is climbing on the seat of the Blackbird and eating it. Much like my new lab would do. We just got a new lab named Max. And he is... Chewing like crazy. He'll, he'll eat anything you put in his path. So Brew is in the puppy stage, apparently. And Quentin Choir says, It teaches you that a bullet to the head can do wonders for someone's personality. So it appears there's hope for you yet. <laughs> and Wolverine says, No, it tells me we can't afford any more loose cannons. The stakes are too high. And Quentin says, Well, fine, but you dragged me here by, against my will. Wolverine's like, I don't think so. You've had chances to leave, and you didn't. Basically, he says, you'll never admit it, but this is where you want to be. You can't handle the real world. You'd rather be the big fish in a small pond at the school. And then he pulls out a box, and turns out it's a student election box. It says, as I'm sure you remember, one of the last things Charles Xavier did before he died was to publicly nominate you for class president. It seems the sympathy vote has helped overcome the fact that most of the other students hate your guts. As it stands now, there's a tie between you and a knoll. I haven't voted yet. And Quentin Quire's like, you wouldn't. And his t-shirt right now says, I am a political prisoner. <laughs> I forgot to I forgot to say earlier, uh, when they got to the Savage Land, he had an I Heart New York shirt, but it said I Heart SL. Like, I love the Savage Land, like a tourist shirt. thought that was really funny, too. I forgot to mention it earlier. He, uh, Wolverine grabs a piece of folded paper that says, Professor X challenged you to start living up to your potential. 
I hope you don't plan on letting him down. Congratulations, Mr. President. Your term starts as soon as we land. So we go back to the present, and Quentin Quire is trying to motivate the troops. He's talking to his classmates. He says, we're trapped in a jungle on the South Pole. I've been in worse detentions. we still got hours to outsmart Wolverine. If we can't do that, none of us deserve to live this place alive. Leave this place alive. But first, we need to make camp. Kid A, <laughs> which, nice. Calling Kid Apocalypse Kid A. Like, and I'm a huge, huge Radiohead fan, so love that reference. And he says, and new girl with wings whose name I haven't bothered to learn yet. <laughs> thought that was really funny because I don't remember what the girl's name is either. So me and Quentin Quire are in the same boat there. But you two are going to take to the air and find a safe spot. Shark Face and Brew. And oh, I forgot to mention earlier he, he referred to Shark Girl as Shark Week. That was another good one-liner. But Shark Face and Brew, you look the most like animals. So I'm guessing you're our best trackers? Go find us something edible by normal standards, not globs. I, boy, and glob gather wood for a fire. That means go pick up sticks and try not to hurt yourselves. He wants Ivy to make some blocks of ice, and he's going to build a telekinetic shelter. Everybody got it? Good. Now get to it. X-Men, disperse or whatever. They all just kind of stare at him and go their separate ways. And Quentin Quire's like, Ivy, you're leaving too? But you kissed me. And she says it was a mistake. It's her fault. Brew is like he is, and she can't ever leave him again. And Quentin's like, but, but I'm school president. You idiots elected me. Just wait until I legalize student executions. <laughs> and Glob Herman has a giant pile of dinosaur guts and says, it's not even so bad with the maggots left in. And Ivoy throws up and into his hand. He's like, oh, I just threw up in my eyes. <laughs> so the students kind of disperse. They're out wandering around kind of feeling sorry for themselves in various ways. And Wolverine's high up in a tree in the forest, or the jungle canopy. And says, looks like my teacher of the year award will have to wait for another year. What the hell was I thinking? What qualifies me to try and teach a bunch of troubled kids? Me, the kid who stabbed his own father to death. Me, the father who murdered his own kids. To hell with it. I just need to round them up and head back to the school before somebody gets hurt. And then I'll just leave the teaching to people like Hank and Aurora while I stick to doing what I do best, which is still nothing more than... And he gets shot out of the air as he was swinging on a vine. Like, ah! And he lands on his back and he hops up and he gets a snicked on one hand. And then the next panel, we get a snicked in the other hand. And he's like, whoever you are, bub, you just made you. And then we see Dog, and he's in the savage way with some kind of super laser gun. And he's like, howdy, little brother. Hope I ain't interrupting anything. And of course, he still has um, scars on his face from Wolverine's claws. And to be continued. Okay. And in the back, we I kind of needed an updated version of this. Remember from issue one of this series, we had like a little chart of the staff and students. So we have another one, a Jean Grey School for Higher Learning roster. We have a faculty. It's a cool little, like, I don't know what you call that style of the little pupil drawings. But um, we have Wolverine and Storm as headmaster and headmistress. 
Beast is the Vice Principal, uh, Kenny Pride, Iceman, Rachel Gray, Rogue, Gambit, and North Star are senior staff members. Chamber, Karma, Warbird, Frenzy, no, I'm sorry. Chamber, Karma, Karma, and Warbird are junior staff members. Frenzy and Dupe are adjunct. Angel is the official recruiter, and Toad is still the janitor. Then we have the students. We have a Null, Armor, Blindfold, Bling, Brew, Cypher, Crosta, who I don't remember who that is. I think he has some kind of gills or something. Dust, Ernst, I don't remember him either. Or her, I don't even know. Ivoy, Face, don't remember that guy. Genesis, Gentle, I have no idea who that is. Glob Herman, Grey Malkin, Hellion, Indra, Kid Omega, Match, don't know who that is. But he's on fire, so I'm assuming he's a pyro mutant of some sort. Mercury, no girl, is just a big floating brain. Oya, who I'm assuming, is that ID's code name? I didn't know that. I didn't really read Generation Hope. Uh, Pixie, Primal, Rock Slide, Shark Girl, and the girl who I didn't know her name. The new mutant that Quentin Choir referred to as New Girl with Wings who name whose name I haven't bothered to learn. Well her name is Sprite. Kinda of interesting because that was Kitty Pride's name. But th- I think they may have referenced that when she first showed up. I can't remember. Uh, the Stepford Cuckoo Surge Trance Transonic and Velocidad. And then you have the Time Displaced Original X Men, Angel Beast, Cyclops. Iceman and Jean Grey. Then we have a Jean Grey school proposed class list and special events schedule. Of course, we have the letterhead with a nice logo and the uh, the motto, the best there is at what we do. And Logan has made some notes in red pen. He wants some revisions. So we have a class list. Uh, some of the, the highlights are Ethics 572, to stab or not to stab with Headmaster Logan. Lockpicking 101 with Headmistress Monroe. And Wolverine has a note. No damn way. I have a hard enough time keeping the baths out of my office. We have uh, mind fighting with Rachel Gray. With a warning. Uh, risk of serious brain injury. So Wolverine makes a note. Make sure the choir signs up for this class. Professor Pride teaching ballet and dance and art of samurai. Kendo. Bobby, Professor Drake, teaching advanced calculus. And he's trying to make it fun. There'll be free slushies, a Ferris, Ferris wheel made of ice, and snowball fights every Tuesday. Beast's advanced mutagenic research lab has a risk of further genetic mutation. <laughs> you know, because he's done that a lot. <laughs> uh, life and death and drawing with Warbird Naganandini. The art of drawing the nude female form when said form is armed with swords and trying to kill you. And Wolverine has underlined this in a red ink and said, Not sure about this one. Maybe if I could see a few live demonstrations first. (laughs) Rogue with non-contact sports. (laughs) Because she can't touch anybody. That's funny. Let's see what else we got. The extracurricular activities, which they misspelled it, so you made a typing error there. And you corrected it. The Grey School Bowling Team with Captain Dupe, who I'm assuming is just going to be the bowling ball. I don't know. Um, Upcoming opponents include the Salem Center Fire Department, the Yancey Street Hurlers, 
Swords Interplanetary Strike Squadron. Get it? Strike Bowling. And I like this one. Matt Murdock and the Blind Boys of Bowling. We also have a time travel club with Dr. McCoy. What other famous people shall we bring into the present? <laughs> Wolverine has put an X next to it and said, Very funny, Hank. Keep it up and I'll trade you to Alpha Flight for Sasquatch. Thought that was funny. Um, then, of course, special events are going to make September 1st. Uh, Xavier Day. Gambit's going to have a Mardi Gras parade. <laughs> and a nice little Marvel Now plug. Uh, Peter Parker from Horizon Labs is going to give a guest lecture becoming this superior scientist. Get it? Although that was funny. Um, overall, this issue was really fun. This series continues just to be a blast to read. Um, Jason Aaron. We have lots of adventure. Lots of humor. Lots of good plot development. Lots of good character. Insight. We have intrigue and action. Just this, this book to me has it all. So I'm still really enjoying it. Like I said, the art was kind of a question mark for me at first, but I kind of came around on it. Okay, so there's part of me that is a little bit questioning. Like the origin miniseries was so awesome. Part of me feels like you should just leave it alone. But right now not to say it'll always be this way but from for me personally right now jason aaron is kind of in that peak form where he can't do anything wrong i'm sure he eventually will but you know, i take that back i didn't really like the dupe spotlight issue <laughs> so i guess he can't do something wrong but it's pretty rare and i he's one of my favorite writers and if someone is gonna mess with the characters from the origin miniseries, in particular Wolverine's old family, then I, Jason Aaron would be one of the writers I would want to see do that. One of the very few writers I would trust to do that. So I'm going to leave the jury out. I'm a little worried what they're going to do with this dog character. But like I said, I trust Jason Aaron, and I'll see how it plays out. Yeah, so overall, I'm going to give Wolverine and the X-Men number 25, 3 out of 3 claws. Like I said, this is just a fun, great series. It's very consistent with a great story and pretty good art most of the time. Either great or bordering on great. Um, yeah, just, just a fantastic issue again. So Wolverine and the X-Men number 25, 3 out of 3 claws. Alright, moving on. Okay, so next we have Astonishing X-Men number 59. This, of course, is written by Marjorie Liu with art by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, colors by Chris Peter, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and the cover is by Phil Noto. It's a nice cover. I've been digging Noto's covers. Um... It's got North Star on the front with three kind of slashes through them. Obviously, Wolverine's claws. Those, I mean, is it just me or does North Star have a baby mullet here? I think he kind of has a baby mullet. Got a little bit of party down, or was it, was it a business up top party in the back? A little, little tiny party in the back creeping over his shoulder. 
Anyway. Um, okay, so art-wise, you know, this guy's been touted as kind of the next big thing. And I like him, the Walter, okay. Um, but there's some artists that you see and they blow you away right out of the gate. Uh, you know, you're superstars who start off. Maybe they have to build kind of the, the momentum and the popularity, but talent-wise, like, everyone knows. You know, like your, your Jim Lees, your Todd McFarlane's, maybe weren't, like, the best sellers immediately, but their art was really, really good from the beginning. Then you have guys that kind of grow on you and get better over time. And you turn out to be a really good artist. And then, this guy, for me... It's kind of in a rare situation where kind of as, as we get into this run on Astonishing X-Men, he's kind of growing off of me a little bit. Like, I feel like he was better when he started than he was in this issue, which is not really a good thing to say, but just kind of how I feel. Like, his Wolverine looks like, you, you know that Hammerhead guy that Spider-Man and Daredevil have to fight sometimes? His Wolverine looks like a hammerhead with fins. Not not digging his Wolverine at all. Maybe that's kind of the main thing I don't like. But anyway, it's okay. I just, it had more promise to me than it's fulfilled so far. In, in my personal opinion. Probably the uh, Marvel offices would disagree with me. And that's, that's fine. There's probably readers that disagree with me too. So if you want to uh, give a staunch defense of this guy, go ahead and email me or Facebook me and tell me what you think. Tell me I'm wrong. I won't believe you, but I'll listen. <laughs> anyway, so we start off with North Star meeting in the office of She-Hulk. Oh, Jennifer Walters. She-Hulk, who's a lawyer. And it's funny, she has a, a really cool Hulk coffee mug. But, um, Basically, the situation is that North Star is not an American citizen. He doesn't even have a green card or a visa. <laughs> or, or it turns out, even a passport. He's just here being an X-Man doing his thing. And so the U.S. is not going to recognize his marriage. And they're going to try to deport him. Of course, this upsets him. And he leaves. <laughs> Then we see the rest of the astonishing X-Men minus uh, Deathbird or Warbird. I, well, she's not even listed in the front of the book. Maybe she's not on this team anymore. So anyway, in the front of the book, we have Wolverine, North Star, Iceman, Gambit, Cecilia Reyes, Karma, and Kyle Jinanu, or Jinanu. So the other X-Men... Um, Gambit, Wolverine, Karma, and Iceman are at a counter in a diner. And, alright, so it turns out that they're going to try to find Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler. Of course, you remember, at the end of Uncanny X-Force, he betrayed Wolverine and ran off. So Karma is looking for him. We see the little bird trick again, where she's kind of seeing things through a bird. And apparently, Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler has been stalking our universe's version of his wife, which I guess was just a normal person. I, didn't, I don't really know that backstory. 
other than Nightcrawler talking about the blob murdering his wife in an uncanny X-Force, which is why he wanted to kill the Angel of Apocalypse blob so much. But I don't really know like who she was or anything. Anyway, apparently Nightcrawler's become a Night Stalker, and he is uh, like leaving her notes and using kind of his knowledge of her to try to be like the best secret admirer slash stalker ever. So then we switch to uh, Kyle and Cecilia Reyes in a yoga class, and then they get out, and Northstar comes up, and so Kyle asks about the meeting with the lawyer, and Northstar just kisses him. He's like, that bad, huh? So anyway, Northstar turns away, and he's like, as he's kind of walking off, he says, how would you feel about moving back to Canada? And then Kyle walks off the other direction, and Northstar goes after him. He's like, don't be mad. And he says, I'm not mad. This is me processing what you just said. And Northstar kind of plays kind of the, uh, he basically says, they're going to try to deport me. I would rather leave on my own terms. And then Kyle doesn't say anything, and Northstar's kind of like, Kyle? And Kyle points him at the tree and says, I want to sit in this tree right now. And Northstar's like, okay. He flies him up to the tree, and they're sitting on the branch. Kyle says he likes being up high when they have serious talks because it gives them perspective. And he tells Northstar he doesn't want to leave New York because it feels like home. And, of course, Northstar says it doesn't feel like my home. He goes, you're an American. This country is real to you in ways that it isn't for me. I'm not even sure I want to be an American. And he reaches for his hand. They hold hands. And they basically will admit that things are so hard. And they end with the question, what are we going to do? Then we see uh, Nightcrawler, not Nightcrawler's not wife, comes home. And someone's left flowers in her window. Again, a stalker. Then we switch over to Wolverine and Iceman on a balcony. And Iceman's being really chatty, and Wolverine's saying nothing. Iceman checks his phone, and apparently people there's people tweeting about a blue devil in Central Park. And it's funny, because one of the guys is at J9. I don't know if these are their real tweeter addresses or not. We have an at J9, which is the uh, editor for the Wolverine book, at least for the Savage Wolverine one. I don't know who Arun is or Pat Keeman. But we have at G.H. Walter, which is obviously referencing himself <laughs> as the artist. So Iceman kind of starts needling Wolverine. Uh, he says, Sasquatch is calling. He wants his hairy chest back. Sometimes I wear Storm's underwear. And Wolverine decides he's had enough. So he wants to round the team up. And Iceman's kind of getting on to him for not talking about this other Nightcrawler. And Wolverine says, I told you he killed a man. Shouldn't that be enough for you? Then he tells him not to call him Nightcrawler because he's not our Nightcrawler. Iceman calls him out. He says, I know, but why are we spending, why are we working so hard trying to find him? And then, so he gets the team together. Iceman keeps kind of pointing at him, like picking at him. And we get our first, we get our snicked. 
as Wolverine just kind of gets really pissy with Iceman and holds his claws kind of up to him and says, you, shut the hell up. Iceman says, I will when you start talking. Wolverine's like, there's nothing to say and he looks really awful on this panel. Horrible. But then Gambit kind of steps in and says, no, you know what? We're all here because we trust you to lead this team. So now you need to trust us. And Wolverine puts his claws back in and starts to walk off. He goes, that's the problem, Gambit. Trust is what caused this mess. They decide they're going to go after uh, not Nightcrawler's not woman. And we see that she's talking on the phone to somebody about her secret admirer. And we see Nightcrawler sitting outside the window listening. Holding, I guess, one of her dresses. That's not creepy at all. Then someone's at the door, so she hangs up on the phone. And, oh, you know, it's Bruce Lee. <laughs> no, but in the jacket, it's the inner of the dragon jacket. It's, it looks like Bruce Lee. Um, but, um, anyway, he goes, hey, Linda. Oh, his name's Bruce. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> I must have, like, subconsciously, because I'd read this before. Obviously, I'm not reading it as I talk to you. I read it a couple of times, and I kind of flip through it again when I go through my review. In case you were wondering about my process, a little peek behind the curtain. I'm guessing when I read this the first two times, I read Bruce, and then when I saw it this time, before I read it, I just looked at it. And he looked like Bruce Lee. And I'm wondering if the fact that his name was Bruce influenced that decision. And that kind of quote-unquote joke. It wasn't much of a joke, guys. I know. Don't give me too hard of a time. Or if I thought that, I don't know, maybe the artist and the writer are being funny. It definitely looks like Bruce Lee. Anyway, they start making out. And so Nightcrawler teleports to the roof. And he's obviously upset. So he sees a cat, and he knows that it's karma. And uh, he basically has a message for Wolverine. He says, it doesn't matter that I'll never have my wife again. I still don't regret what I did, and I never will. You tell him that. And then he bamps away, and Wolverine jumps over the, onto the roof with his claws out. He's like, damn it. And he gets onto karma for not mind-blocking him. She says that she, he couldn't, she couldn't get in his mind. And then she complains to Wolverine that maybe she could get in there if he gave if, if he gave her some information. And Iceman again is like, "We're not your soldiers, Wolverine. We're a team." <laughs> Northstar says, "Right, whatever. Are we done here? I need to get home and have some makeup sex." And everyone kind of looks at him. He's like, "What?" And Wolverine he kind of comes clean. He's like, "All right, I made a mistake. That's the reason we're here." I made the mistake of wanting my friend to be alive again. When I saw that Nightcrawler, the one from the other universe, part of me wanted to believe it was the same man. I ignored the facts. I trusted him only because of the way he looked, because I needed to believe this was my friend, and he double-crossed us. And Karma walks up, puts, puts her hand on his shoulder, and now it feels like you've lost your friend all over again. He goes, I'm pissed, Sean, more than pissed. I'm afraid I'm going to kill Nightcrawler if I confront him. And basically he says is that's why he wanted the team's help. He knows he's been grouchy, but he wanted them to kind of hold him accountable so that he doesn't kill him. And then we see Nightcrawler on top of the Empire State Building. 
He decides he doesn't belong here. He lets the scarf. I guess we find out. It looks more like a scarf now. I couldn't tell if it was a dress or whatever. But it's a scarf. And she, Nightcrawler, Age of Apocalypse, basically says, I do not belong here. I never did. And you aren't her. I'm coming home, Linda. And he lets the scarf blow away in the wind. And he super teleports out. Can it now, okay. Can this Nightcrawler teleport dimensions? Is that what happened? I don't know exactly what his powers are. But after he teleports, there's a rip in the sky into some kind of black dimension and some kind of monster is going to come through. And this is to be continued in Extermination Number 1, which I don't want to read that. I will, because Wolverine's pretty involved in it and you guys are going to want to hear about it. I'm not looking forward to that. I don't like all the Age of Apocalypse and then the that Extreme X-Men book looks dumb. I did not... You know, it started in Astonishing. But kind of an alternate dimension story. I just did not like that story at all. And now I'm going to have to deal with those characters again. I'm not super thrilled. Um, this issue of its own... Like I said, the art... Kind of go back and forth on. It's good and then it's not so good. And then some of it is good... So it's kind of inconsistent. But there are parts of it that are cool. Like when Nightcrawler's on top of the Empire State Building, that whole page is great. And he's had great pages in the previous issues he's done. I don't know. Besides the fact that I don't like his Wolverine, most of the art varies from decent to really good. And I don't know. I don't want to beat a dead horse. It's... I feel like the art's kind of inconsistent and has a lot of potential, but hasn't quite reached it yet. The humor is good. The writing's pretty good. Though I'm not excited about the story. That's not Marjorie Lou's fault. She's uh, participating in a crossover. And as far as kind of the uh, prologue goes, I felt like for what we're leading up to, this was as good of a lead-in story as we could have. I'm really still digging the way that the, the interaction between North Star and Kyle as they're trying to figure out their marriage. Uh, the Wolverine and Iceman part was kind of funny, and you kind of see how you know Wolverine can be kind of grouchy, but the Iceman can be kind of bratty, and that fits both of their personalities. I felt like that interaction between them was very natural and fit into character. So I thought the writing was pretty good in this book. Um, like I said, not super excited about Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler. I kind of tolerated him in Uncanny X-Force, and I loved that book. And I still didn't really like him that much in there. So as for what we're leading into, I'm not that excited about. But I thought, just based on this own issue, the issue was pretty good. I'm going to give... Um, Astonishing X-Men number 59, two out of three claws. Pretty solid. It's a pretty solid two. You know, borderline almost three. The art would have been a little more consistent. Probably would have given it a three. But, um, yeah. Astonishing X-Men number 59, two out of three claws. All right, moving on. Okay, so next up we have Uncanny Avengers number four. This is written by Rick Remender. With art by John Cassidy. 
Colors by Laura Martin with Larry Molinar. Or Moliner? Moliner? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but they did a good job. So Laura Martin and Larry M., who's good. Uh, letters by VCs Chris Elipolios. And the cover is by Cassidy and Martin. There's apparently a variant cover they did, which I didn't see. But the cover is Thor in space. Still looks like a pro wrestler. He's got his hammer. is got red lightning coming out of it. And he's carrying Captain America and standing over Havoc. With kind of the earth behind them. So it's a pretty cool cover. Thor has his eyes are glowing red. It's pretty nice. I like it. So of course remember that uh, the clone of Red Skull that was trapped in a basement with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> you like that? Uh, he, he woke up and he wants to continue the Red Skull's mischief and evil. And he dug up Professor X's body and is using his brain to make himself the most powerful evil telepath on the planet. And he's convincing a large, at least like a borough of New York, or maybe just a block, I don't know. Anyway, that mutants are the cause of all the problems in America and they need to kill them. And so they basically incite some mob. And the Uncanny Avengers have gone in to fight him. And so we start off with a flashback of Alex and Scott Summers with the uh, where their parents died in the plane and they threw the kids out with the one parachute. Because the plane was blowing up. And of course there's all the retcon with the Shi'ar stuff. Um, not mentioned here. Um, anyway, Alex talks about how he remembers his mom waving goodbye from the plane. Like they were just going to school. But then it blew up. And so we switch back to present day. And Havoc is kind of beaten up laying on the ground. Thor is taking him out. And so Thor and Scarlet Witch are fighting. Kind of going back and forth. Thor remembers that Scarlet Witch's powers, like the more she uses them, the more tired she gets, so she needs the rest. So he's just going to be relentless. But then she smashes him with a Mack truck. Then he tears through it and flies at her in a sequence that looks... Like the comic art you would see on a cereal box. I gotta say, overall, and I've said before, talking about these issues, I'm a Cassidy fan. This book, the art felt really, really rushed. I don't know how that works. I'm not qualified to say he did this in X amount of time, or he didn't, or he was late, or whatever. I don't know. I know he has a reputation for being late. I know that a lot of panels in this book look subpar as what I expect or have come to expect from John Cassidy's art. Especially this panel on the bottom. After he gets, Thor gets crushed with the truck and he busts out of it. And that looks crappy. Then he's flying at Scarlet Witch and it looks, I mean, it looks like something you see like, you know, Free comic book inside Captain Crunch. And, you know, some hack draws like a little drawing. Like, I can draw this. And I'm not very good. And I usually always say, even when I complain about art, 
Like, I know I can't do it. But this Thor, this one little panel, I think anybody can do. I don't know. It just, I'm disappointed because I'm really, I really am a big Cassidy fan. And there's, there's cool frames in here. And then the end is really good. Like what you expect from him. Of course, that's an epilogue. And maybe it was drawn separately. But a lot of the art here just doesn't look that great. It's still probably better than a lot of other people. Well, except for that one panel of Thor flying. I contend it will stand by that just looks crappy. But anyway, before Thor can strike the final blow, Havoc jumps up and kazaks him. And then Thor, you know, is momentarily uh, knocked down, but not out. Here we have Red Skull walking around pontificating. Uh, we get a funny scene where he tells Honest John to, to kill a homeless guy because they shouldn't be there. Which, you know, I guess fascism would look down on homeless people. And the guy's like, why me? He says, are you questioning me? Like, no, sir. Good. Now move a step to the right. Yes, sir. <laughs> he gets hit in the back of the head with a big twong by Captain America's shield. And he says, now that time you should have asked why, <laughs> Red Skull says. <laughs> And so Red Skull gets mad at Captain America and he starts talking about how Captain America is standing up for an idealistic America that no longer exists. However, why is he defending the entitled who have strayed so far from what you embody, he says. And Captain America falters, he says. It has all changed. It and then he snaps back into reality and says, Shut up! You think anybody, you, anything you have to say can sway me? I love my country. I believe in America. But then uh, Red Skull shuts him down mentally and he falls on the ground. And then we find out that he's using mental powers to make the mob believe that Captain America is leading them. Then we get some awesome like Red Skull sentinels that look great. Now this page... The full page spread is what you expect from Cassidy. Great art. And it's a nice homage to Days of Future Past. You have these awesome sentinel looking, those are sentinels, they look a little different. And they have red skulls painted on their faces. It looks, it's a great design. It looks fantastic. Then you have a brick wall and having a Scarlet Witch standing in front of it and the Wolverine Phoenix pose. Then you have a poster with the Uncanny Avengers and little thing through them. Like Slade, Apprehended. You know, everybody, if you're a comic book fan, you have to have seen that cover from Days of Future Past. And so, it's a really nice homage to it. Basically, decides that he's going to, Red Skull tells Captain America, he's going to win America back by wiping out the mutants and taking away all the rights and turning humanity against them until they beg, until the mutants beg to be ruled by the humans. Then we get another... See, the art in the middle of this book picks up. Maybe uh, It's just a little bit of the beginning that sucks. We get a really nice panel of Havoc and Scarlet Witch combining their powers <laughs> to shoot Thor. <laughs> Which reminds me of, if you didn't listen to last episode... Uh, 
I had Cameron on again, and we talked about uh, Giant Size Number One. And talked about how there's that thing in comic books where everybody just kind of randomly throws all their powers together and happens to be the perfect combination. Well, here it's not so perfect, but they're trying. They're both shooting Thor with everything they've got together. And then uh, Havoc says, or Scarlet Witch says, Go, Alex. The others will be expecting us. Go help them. We must take down the Red Skull. And Havoc says he's not going to leave her by him. And leave her by herself to fight Thor. And Scarlet Witch says, don't worry, I won't hurt him. And she smiles and kind of winks at him. So Havoc runs off. The Scarlet Witch goes into a trance. Her eyes roll back into her head. She floats up and calls on all the powers of chaos. And she realizes she can't defeat Thor, so she just shoots him into space. (laughs) Pretty good strategy. So Red Skull is still preaching at Captain America. He goes, you imagine if you fight hard enough, one day you will wrest control from the bankers who owned you and return this nation to its former glory. Okay, kind of Democrat there. Clean streets, honest neighbors, attractive wives, green lawns. But in reality, this is and will remain your America. An uneducated population fixated on competition, material wealth, and voyeurism. Kind of Republicans. <laughs> Red Skull is taking both sides. <laughs> he doesn't like welfare. And he doesn't like uh, the financial institutions. <laughs> so he's both Occupy and Tea Party. <laughs> it says violent monsters doused in antibiotics to offset their diet of sugary sweet drink and mounds of carcinogenic cow flesh. This is what you fight for, it shows a in contrast like an idyllic scene of of Steve with with Sharon Carter and two kids getting ready. They're playing catch outside, getting ready to have some meatloaf. Then there's an L Mart and Red Skull's blocking off the wall. It's obviously supposed to be a Walmart. And it's got fat people pushing carts and eating fast food and a kid picking his nose. And then a car driving by with a guy hanging a gun out the side. So crime and obesity. <laughs> and then Red School, again, we have the cool-looking, like, middle powers with the little rings and the waves. I, I like the way Cassidy draws that. And he says that he's going to get Captain America to help him save the country. And then Rogue jumps in. One of the uh, Red Skull's henchmen was had a mutant dampening power, so she stole that and turned off Red Skull's newfound telepathy and mind control. And so she's going to go at Rogue with her bare hands. And Red Skull says, I don't need powers, I have a gun. And she tries to shoot Rogue, but Havoc shoots him in the back with his power. But he still hits Rogue a little bit. And apparently, while... It may just be a flesh wound. It's not really a flesh wound. It's a pretty serious hit, but it doesn't kill her. But it knocks out her mutant dampening power that she just stole, which I don't... Is that how that works? I'm not sure about that. Anyway, Havoc starts just beating the crap out of Red Skull, but it turns out he only thinks he's beating the crap out of Red Skull. He's actually beating Rogue. But then Captain America jumps back up and... It says that he hits Red Skull as hard as he's ever hit him before with his shield. And he's about to, he decides he has to kill him. He goes, he wastes no time. 
prepared to do whatever it takes to end this. He knows he cannot risk allowing this monster to regain his faculties or allow him to live with Xavier's great gifts. And he goes out loud, You'll spill no more blood, Skull! And Red Skull says, Not today, perhaps, but soon. And the little water witch pulls him into the puddle and kind of teleports him away. And Red Skull talks about spilling blood. He says, I've acquired quite a taste for it. Captain America's like, no, no, and he beats his hands in the puddle. But now it's just a regular puddle. The water witch is gone. Thor lands. And he walks over and picks up Wolverine's beaten body. Everybody wakes up from their trance and sees all the horrible things they've done to their fellow man. (laughs) And Thor says, how can I allow that beast's words to have sway over me? And Rogue says, you can't blame yourself, Thor. And Wolverine, who's all beat just to shit, he's all swollen and bloody. He says, well, you can blame yourself a little. And everybody's kind of starting to panic, but Havoc, who's also pretty swollen, has an eye swollen shut, tells them not to blame themselves that the Red Skull did all this. You were under his control. He goes, even Thor and Captain America, the best among us, fell to his influence. He goes, it's, you have to remember that it's not your fault. But what happens next is, like, basically, okay, how are you going to respond to this? That'll be your true selves. Whether you respond well or poorly will determine what kind of people you really are. So the Uncanny Avengers start to walk off, and we see them in a building, and they're kind of going over the footage, Captain America and Havoc. They found none of the S-Men, which were the Red Skull's henchmen. They all got away. And Havoc says, well, we need to find him. We need to search him out, and they can lead us to Red Skull. And Havoc says that he knows, Captain America knows Red Skull best, so he's willing to defer kind of team leadership. Because remember, Havoc, Captain America appointed Havoc to lead the Uncanny Avengers. And Havoc kind of says, you know what? If you need to take point on this one, you can. And Captain America says, no. He goes, the Avengers Unity Squad, which I guess is what they're referring to it as, is in excellent hands with you. I'm always right about one thing, when someone has what it takes. <laughs> and Havoc jokes, well, I, don't th- I don't think you can self-apply always right, Cap, but thank you. I'll try not to let you down. And Scarlet Witch visits Rogue in a hospital bed, which I don't know why she didn't just leech some of Wolverine's healing factor, but she did it. She decided to wait it out in a hospital bed. And Scarlet Witch says that she wants a fresh start. That she will never again be under anybody else's control. And she said, even with the power of Charles Xavier at his disposal, the Red Skull, the Red Skull couldn't make me cast that spell. And she says, if you, if you stay on the team, Rogue, I want us to be friends. And Rogue rolls over, faces away from her, and says that she can't. That you're a dangerous mess. And she's going to stick around for two reasons. Because Professor X had wanted to. And she's going to keep an eye on Scarlet Witch. Then we see Wolverine in a dark room drinking some whiskey. And he goes, I can smell your shampoo, Goldilocks. And we see Thor in the background. He goes, don't fret over me. I'm on the mend and I don't blame you none. And Thor says, it is your other pain I came to address, Logan. And he has down a newspaper with the headline of the Daily Bugle says Xavier gone dreams still alive 
Mutants and humans work together to stop Red Skull from murder spree. It has a picture of the Uncanny Avengers. And Thor puts his hand on Wolverine's shoulder and says, You did not fail him. He knew you would get it right. Knew you would double the fight without him. Only this time, you will not be fighting alone. Then we get a big black page that says, Three months from now. See, Havoc, Scarlet Witch, and Sunfire. Ugh. Maybe Remender can make him cool. I have my skepticism, but maybe. And so they find uh, Immortus. And he's down in a sewer, and he's written, he has a he drew red skull on the wall, his little telepathic powers. And Havoc says, Cable was right. That was it. The moment the anomaly began. The moment the seven became one. And then we see that we have a Red Skull onslaught. And then Charles Xavier's body walking around without the top of his skull. So that's interesting. People either love or hate onslaught. Um, I liked it. All right. So it's interesting to see where that goes. All right. So this book. Um, once you got about halfway through, the art looked great again. It's just, there's just a couple of parts in the beginning, and really it's just those three panels. They just bug the crap out of me. They just look horrible. But most of the art's pretty good. I mean, maybe a little bit substandard for John Cassidy, but it's pretty decent. I thought the story was good. The writing was remender. I mean, it's remenders. Some good action, some good humor, some good character development. Good dialogue. Uh, it ends and kind of wraps up kind of quick. But that's okay. Red Skull gets away kind of in, in a way that kind of would be lame. But I feel like, I still feel like Remender's kind of tongue and cheeking a little bit with kind of the bombasticism of some of the, you know, I've said before this book has, is very modern and feels very modern. But it has some tones of Silver Age, just like the super diabolical scheme, and a little bit of mustache twisting with the villain and and the the big scheme and the the preaching <laughs> what you're doing, kind of James Bond villain style, you know, telling Captain America his philosophy on what he's trying to accomplish. So when it gets away kind of easy, that kind of fits into that too. So I don't mind it so much. So then it feels less like a, a really hurried wrap-up and more like an old-school comic book, which I like. So oof, part of the art makes me want to drag this down a little bit, but I'm going to stick to the story overall. I'm really enjoying this story. Of course, I'm a fan of Remenders. That's not no big surprise there. It wasn't my favorite chapter in this first four issues, but I still really liked it. I'm I'm kind of I'm wavering between a two and a three, but I'm gonna go with a three. It's not the strongest three ever. I'm gonna give Uncanny Avengers number four three out of three claws. So cool. It was a great issue. Um, and the onslaught thing definitely has me peaked. I think it says three months from now, so it's probably a ways off in our book, I'm assuming. Because I think Thor fights like a version of Apocalypse. 
pretty soon, like at number five or six. So it's gonna be at least I would I would guess at least three or four issues before we start getting into that onslaught story. Maybe like number nine ish. I don't know. Put your odds on it. I want everybody to tell me what they think number issue that's going to be in. Unless you read it online. Don't cheat. I haven't seen it listed specifically. But maybe it has been somewhere else. Anyway, yeah. Avengers. Uncanny Avengers. Number four. Three out of three claws. All right. Let's see what's next. Okay. So now it's time for a little something old, something new. We have all new X-Men number seven. This is written by Brian Michael Mendes, with art by David Marquez, colors by Marte Gracia, and VC's Corey Pettit is the letterer. Our cover is by Eminem, Von Grabedger, and Gracia, and there's a 50th anniversary variant cover by Nick Bradshaw and Jason Keith, which I have not seen yet. Our imminent cover is really nice. It's got a young Cyclops being kind of seduced by Mystique. And um, kind of fades into black around the edges. It's a really nice cover. It's really dark and kind of shadowy. Looks cool. Alright, we're seven issues in. And I feel like um, everyone should kind of have a grip on the basic concept of the book. As far as all the time travel and the young X-Men and the old X-Men and all that jazz. So what happened last, remember, is that young Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops, ran off with Wolverine's motorcycle because he kind of is feeling displaced and disoriented in the present, his future. And Wolverine chases him down. They have a confrontation, but Cyclops, Wolverine slips and mentions he has a healing factor, and Cyclops lets lets him have it with an optic blast and gets away. So we open up. With uh, young Cyclops in Wolverine's jacket and a Yankees cap he picked up somewhere. And he's walking around Manhattan. And right off the bat, he's looking up at all the new buildings. Which I'm not... I guess in Marvel you have extra stuff like Stark Tower and stuff. But and I know like it's denser and there's more stuff. But I don't know if the skyline would be like that drastically different. From his time to now. As far as. There were still skyscrapers back then too. There'd be maybe some different ones. And obviously. uh, Well post 9-11. The skyline's a little different. But um. Yeah. But anyway. My, my favorite part is he's walking through Manhattan. And yeah. The obligatory guy walking around. Just staring at his smartphone. Then you have a girl, like, right off the bat, our first panel. She's looking at him like, what the heck? Like, who's this guy walking around? Those fucky sunglasses. Is he in a Kanye West video? <laughs> I can see Kanye West wearing a Cyclops visor. Or maybe Chris Martin from Coldplay. And even in the, in the second panel, she's still, like, he's walked past. And she's still, she's kind of turned around, still kind of, like... Giving him the evil eye. So he walks into a bank. And he sees some magazine covers. We have the Rolling Stone with older Cyclops. Doing the like X symbol with his arms. We have a Time magazine declaring new mutants. 
We have a People magazine with Captain America's shield saying the Avengers mutant cover-up, which is obviously a nod to Uncanny Avengers. But then a young Cyclops spots a worker who has an X-Men button on her sweater. And then he he notices, uh, (laughs) we see him getting recorded by a security camera, which will come into play later. But he walks up to the girl, and she's just kind of looking at her computer, and like, she knows he's there. She's like, can I help you? Blah, blah, blah. He says he wants to check a safety deposit box. But he doesn't really have all the stuff he needs. And she looks to him, well, I'm sure we can. And then she realizes who he is, and we get a really nice facial expression change. Yeah, I talked a lot last time about Marquez's art and how much I enjoyed it. And it's equally as good this issue. So just say that right off the bat. The art's really fantastic. And the colors by Gracia, also really good. The girl is obviously an X-Men fan. It turns out she uh, wishes she was a mutant. And so she suddenly becomes super eager to help young Cyclops, even to the point of like stumbling over her words and kind of being embarrassed and you know like it's you it's really you kind of thing so they look and they find a safety deposit box that was registered to him <laughs> it's funny because she says you look you, or she, sorry let's get the, the stammering in you you look a lot older on tv <laughs> cyclops says i am older on tv <laughs> she's like <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. It's a good Bendis wit. I enjoy Bendis's wit. So she's also a little flustered because apparently the uh, safety deposit box has been in the bank for a while. So she's kind of confused that he's so young and has a box in his name that's been there a good amount of time since he expected him to be older. But she leaves him in privacy and he opens the box and we see an old school pair of ruby court sunglasses. And he takes off his cow with his visor and he's holding his eyes shut and obviously hurts. And he puts the uh, the glasses on. He's like, oh, that's better. And you know, these things are really, um, they're flat. I've never really understood exactly how this kept his beam in check. Just shape-wise. I understand the principle of the ruby quartz and you just kind of accept that on faith with Cyclops. Because that's been woven into his origin. But I feel like there's lots of room. <laughs> For optic blast to get out of these glasses. I've always felt that way. So I like the throwback. I appreciate that. But I never really understood exactly how these particular glasses work. I don't feel like they conform to his face at all. They're just, they're flat. And they stick out. And there's room on the sides of his eyes. And, you know, under his cheeks. For stuff to get out. So unless the blast automatically only goes straight. And I guess in that regard, he has a buffer. You know, the glasses keep the blast in control that way. But I'm pretty sure I remember scenes of him, like, putting his finger over his eyes and, and stuff shooting between his fingers. But maybe it goes straight and the fingers kind of uh, refract it. I don't know. Anyway, that's kind of one of those, if you try to apply too much science to comic books, you're going to uh, drive yourself crazy. Anyway, it's a nice, it's a nice kind of... Uh, nod to the past and I like it in spite of my question I really enjoy it and so he gets him on and he feels better and then he sees a bunch of money in the box he's like thank you Scott Summers but then he also finds 
a copy of a wedding invitation to the wedding between him and Jean. So obviously that's going to be a little bit awkward. And uh, and the bank employee is out telling one of her co-workers because she's so excited she can't contain it that Cyclops is in the safety deposit room. And of course the co-worker is like, he's a mutant terrorist. He's wanted by the authorities. We have to call the police. And the uh, the other the girl who let him in is like, no, that's just a conspiracy. I trust him, blah, blah, blah. But the co-worker calls a security guard. And we see young Scott still in the room. And he's got a bunch of stuff out. It looks like some wedding souvenirs. And a lot of Polaroids. So he can shake it like a Polaroid picture. Shake it, shake it, shake it. Which I kind of wish we could see what was on the pictures, but I'm assuming it's all like X-Men memories or Scott and Gene memories or maybe one of them with baby Nathan, you know. I'm, in fact, I'd say that's a pretty fair bet. The Cyclops closes it up and walks out with a shocked look on his face. And I'm not going to lie, when I was turning the page, because it's the last panel on the page, I was expecting it to be the security guards and cops, but no, it's Wolverine. And he's mad. He's like, are you done wasting my day? And he grabs Cyclops by the arm. And he's, he tells him to, to come peacefully. Don't start a fight in here because there's innocent people. And then there's two, three security guards with guns trained on him. And he's like, put the guns down. And one of the security guards is like, on the ground. And Wolverine says, yes, put the guns down on the ground. And he holds up an Avengers card. All right, I'm going to kind of ruin this a minute for you because uh, you'll find out in a short couple of pages that this is Mystique. And can she... I mean, I guess she could shapeshift from her hand. Like, maybe the Avengers card could be part of her skin, part of her. Because she never actually, like, draw, lets go of it. I mean, she wouldn't have, like... A Wolverine identification card for the Avengers, right? Like that's got to be part of her shape-shifting. Anyway, but she uh, obviously has a history of Wolverine, and she nails the performance. I mean, she acts just like him. He's really gruff. He's really rough with security guards. And she's like, you don't pull a gun on someone just because they're different than you. You can't pull a gun on someone from walking into a bank. He didn't rob the bank. Did you rob the bank? No. See, he didn't rob the bank. <laughs> that was really funny. So he basically says, if you shoot me, it won't hurt me, and I will cut off your hands. I'll go back to wherever I came from, and you won't have hands. So they let him leave, and young Cyclops protest, and Wolverine leads him into an alley, and he's like, I needed someone you would believe and someone they would be afraid of. He's my only choice, really. And young Cyclops gasp, and we see... After all, it was Mystique. When she introduces herself as Raven, um, a friend of Charles Xavier who's a mutant shapeshifter. I saw the younger you online and had to see this for myself. And she says that she's sorry if her blue mutant form offends him. He's like, no. But he's obviously taken aback. And she leads him off because they need to have a talk. So then she uh, shapeshifts into a hot chick. And they're sitting out talking, and Scott, young Scott, talks about how that is punishment that they are brought back to this time. 
he, he's talking about Beast. He says, he says he brought us here to stop the coming mutant civil war. The genocide, as he put it. He's a liar. He brought us here to punish me. He's mad about Xavier. And Mystique says, it might be both things. And Mystique kind of manipulates uh, young Cyclops a little bit. And it's really cool and really well written because she doesn't say, she doesn't lie to him about anything. And she doesn't really say anything that's wrong. But you know she has an ulterior motive because she, I mean, last we saw, she was running around with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So, but she basically talks about how good it is to talk to the younger Scott uncompromising, idealistic. The other you, not so much anymore. And she basically she she basically tells him what he wants to hear. Because he's like, you're not mad at me for killing Xavier? And she's like, you didn't kill Charles Xavier. The older you did, maybe. And he's like, maybe. And she talks about how he was under control of the Phoenix power and out of control. Because Scott Summers would never kill Charles Xavier, right? And young Cyclops says, I need to talk to him. And then Mystique plants a seed. You should put him down. You gotta take care of him before he hurts himself or others. And he's like, me? There are dozens of mutants in the school right now. Why has nobody else done this yet if it's what needs to be done? And Mystique says he's the only one that can. Everybody else is mad and angry and indignant and disagreeing as they are. They respect Cyclops too much for what he's done in the past for the kind of leader he's been, that no one's kind of willing to quote-unquote pull the trigger. But maybe you can. She it says a good line here. I guess Hank, Hank is thinking that maybe you hate yourself enough to stop this before it gets more out of control. And young Cyclops is kind of flustered, looks around, and then he asks the question, well, who are you in all this? And, and she tells the truth. She says she has a, a checkered past. She said, the world hasn't been very nice to me, and I haven't been very nice to the world, but I respect Charles Xavier. And she wanted to come talk to Scott so he could fig- to give him a chance to figure things out for himself. And so he asked her, well, what would you do if you were me? So she shapeshifts into current day, well, actually more like 90s Jim Lee era Scott Summers, or maybe just after, because he doesn't have the little uh, thing on his chest, the little chest strap. But he says, or he, she says, I would go back to the school and lead my team. I would look at what that school has become, what a pale warp reflection of its original intention is. And I would shut that down and then I'd find the older you and shut that down as well. And, I would, and then I think I would go back to where I came from and start over knowing what I know now. That would be amazing. And he says, why don't you do it? And she says, because she's not ruthless like him. And he gets defensive and says, I'm not ruthless. And she goes, Scott, all you are is ruthless. When you see something you know is wrong in the world, nothing will stop you from making it right. Nothing. That is the definition of ruthless. Have you been in the school? Yes. Did you like what you saw? I don't know. You don't know? Your school has been taken over by that mongrel Wolverine so he can teach all these little mutants to become feral killing machines. That was not Charles Xavier's dream. That was not what you fought for and lost for. And then she changes into a girl with pink hair and leaves. And she's like, where are you going? She's like, uh, Wolverine's about to be here. He's a tracker. And he, Scott's like, how do you know? And she gives him a good idea. She suggests he, he gets a notebook 
It starts taking notes on all the mutants he meets and their powers so he can have that for strategy. That actually is a really good idea. And he, she's leaving. He's like, well, how do I find you? And, and she says, you don't need to find me. You need to find yourself on numerous levels. And he looks down and then the real Wolverine drives up in a truck. He's like, did you try to rob a bank? <laughs> he goes, Cyclops says, why haven't you killed me yet? And Wolverine's like, I just met you. And Cyclops says, no, I mean me, the adult me. Clearly you could. You made it very clear you want to. And we get a good little, little Wolverine bit here. He says, yep, and I could kill you right now. If I do my math right, that means you'd both cease to exist. And Scott says, exactly, your problem solved. But Wolverine says this, and I think this is very telling of where he is in the Marvel Universe right now. He says, maybe I've lived long enough to know that killing is the easiest thing. Saving someone is a lot damn harder. Maybe it was Charles Xavier who taught me that. Get in, you're wasting my day. Cyclops says, what if I can't be saved? Wolverine says, steal my shit ever again and I'll cut something off. He's like, nice. So we see Mystique getting into a van with our mysterious character again. And apparently he was listening in. He's like, what was that all about? I thought you didn't care about them. She's like, I don't. I got them chasing each other's tails and we can go about our plans distraction-free, interference-free. She says, the esteemed Dr. Henry, Henry McCoy dropped a bomb on the mutant race. I just lit the fuse. Screw them all. Nice. Then we see Kitty Pride trying to train the uh, young X-Men and she fights with Bobby Drake because uh, he feels like he doesn't need to do anything. I like this because she wants him to do push-ups and Bobby is complaining. Uh, Henry is looking at an iPad and Jean Grey is doing the thing where you like stretch your arms and pop your knuckles. Like she's ready to get down to business, which I thought was cool. That she's definitely the mature, tough one of the young X-Men. I like that. I like that a lot. Especially when you think like Stan Lee made her kind of useless back in the 60s. So I'm glad we're showing that that's different. But Kitty and Ice, young Iceman yell at each other. <laughs> And um, we have a thing where he says, uh, I fought Magneto. And she's like, yes, I saw the footage. You threw snowballs at him. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, Eunice the Untouchable? I totally touched him. That sounded wrong. <laughs> and Kitty looks at Jean. He's like, is he always like this? And she says, consistently. Is it yours? And Kitty says, it's odd, though. I, I find mine charming. And Jean Grey says, that is odd. So Kitty agrees. If Iceman can land a punch on her with neither of them using powers, he doesn't have to exercise or work out. And she kind of eggs him on because he doesn't want to hit a girl. She says he's being sexist. And she calls him a little ice boy. And he's like, I'm not an ice. And he tries to throw a punch. And Kitty takes him down, which I thought was awesome. And she says, and that's why you need training. And then Wolverine and young Cyclops get back. And they both kind of walk by. And Kitty's like, and? And Wolverine says, two hour drive. He said nothing. You're in charge of this from now on. I'm done. His dwarf says, thank you for not killing him. Wolverine's like, whatever. And so young Cyclops walks kind of, they're on like a basketball court on the campus. Young Cyclops walks over. Hands Jean Grey the and a piece of paper or card and walks off and we see it's the uh, wedding invitation and Jean reads it and starts to cry and looks surprised but Scott just keeps walking 
He's obviously very shaken by it. But I gotta think Gene, I mean, they're both gonna be upset, first of all, because I, I need some ex-historian to help me out here. At this point, where we are in the young X-Men, are they dating yet? And how serious are they if they are by this point? I'm not real sure. So A, it's got to be disturbing for both of them just to know that that happens in the future. But I got to think, as smart as Gene is, and Cyclops himself would probably be a little bit in denial about this. But as smart as Gene is, she's got to kind of put two and two together. All right, now, she already knew that, that her future self dies more than once, and that Scott was in love with her. But now she knows... Actually, though, she already knew because she saw that when she read Old Beast's thoughts. But now she knows that Scott knows. Anyway, it's got to be going together that that losing the love of his life, losing his wife, had to do a lot to eroding kind of the naively optimistic Cyclops that existed at this time. You know, you see kind of the reasons that he becomes harder, starts making harder choices. It all kind of makes sense. The picture is being painted. So, and seeing the actual invitation is probably different than seeing a memory from Beast's point of view. And it makes it real, for sure. And that's where we leave off. Next issue, we have the Avengers. So that'll be interesting. Anyway, another great issue in all new X-Men. Seven for seven so far. Again, the whole creative team from the writer to the art to the inks to the letters to the colors. All fantastic. A lot of good dialogue, a lot of good wit. Not a whole lot of fighting in this issue, but that's okay. We got a lot of conversation. We got a lot inside young Cyclops' head we had some good Wolverine moments for our Wolverine podcast I really like I said I thought Mystique's role was really interesting because obviously she had the motive of kind of getting the X-Men out of her hair by putting them in each other's hair but like I said she didn't say anything really that was wrong or untruthful she just used the truth and twisted it to her own means by kind of setting or trying to set young Cyclops on a path to take on older Cyclops. So that'll be really interesting. Um, yeah, obviously looking forward to issue eight. Can't wait. Yeah, not really a whole lot else to say about it. It's a great issue. Cover to cover, I loved it. Um, so all new X-Men number seven. I'm going to give three out of three claws. Like it, Again, if you're not reading this book, you really should be. Um, it's still kind of, one of my it's probably my favorite book right now overall all right cool okay so last but not least we have where's logan um he's not all over the place this month first we have avengers 5 which was by jonathan hickman and adam hubert and as much as i love hubert's art i did not read this um <laughs> Basically, it's Avengers in space, 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 space. Um, it's the origin of the Smasher, who's the first human Earthling to be in the Shi'ar Imperium Guard. And basically, the Avengers are off 
doing stuff in space with the Shi'ar and Wolverine's along for the ride. He fights a little bit and says a couple of things but doesn't really have any import in the story really that much. Yeah, so I'll give Avengers 5 Bone Claws, which is what I give when I don't read the book. So, uh, after that, we have X-Men Legacy number 6 by Simon Spurrier and Jorge Molina. Again, the art's pretty good in this one. Alright, so I almost bought this, but I don't have the first five, and I'm probably going to wait and catch these in trades. I just don't want to get... I'm on a budget, people. (laughs) I didn't want to get sucked into this book, and plus, there's a whole lot of stuff at the beginning of it that I just don't know what's going on. But basically, Wolverine and the X-Men are fighting some monsters at the school. They wrap that up, and later that night, Wolverine's talking to Legion, and he says that he has a free pass to leave in peace. Or, he can stay there and and let Wolverine and the school try to help him. You know, because Legion has a history of being unstable. But Legion thinks to himself, in his internal dialogue, that Wolverine has the wrong philosophy. He should be out preventing danger instead of trying to protect the children from danger. And it's kind of a proactive versus reactive philosophy, I guess. Which I'm not sure if I feel like Wolverine's philosophy is all that reactive, but in Legion's mind, it is. He's being more proactive. And he talks about how Xavier had a dream and everyone knew it was his. Like, he was kind of a poster for mutant rights and equality. But Legion's going to take that dream and make it a reality, but no one's going to know. He's going to work from the shadows, and so he leaves. Now that part was kind of cool, but again, I didn't really know what was going on with the whole, like, kids that he was carrying around, and, and the monsters, and something happened to Blindfold, and I don't, I don't really know. Um, so I don't want to get sucked into that whole series, but it looked like at least the interaction between Legion and Wolverine was cool. So props to Spurrier for that. And of course, I like Molina's art. Liked him in a, when he was in Wolverine and the X-Men. And I think he was in the Adjectiveless X-Men book for a while too. So that's cool. Uh, so I probably would have given that book two claws, but I didn't actually read it except for like three pages. So I'm going to stick to my philosophy and give it a bone claws. That's X-Men Legacy number 6. Alright, the other thing we have is X-Men 41, which is the last issue. Wolverine's not in it, thank God. But he is on the covers. It's a cover by Adam Kubert that has a whole bunch of X-Men from a whole bunch of different time periods. And they're standing on the X symbol. You know, the X with a circle around it. And... You know, I love Adam Kubert, but there's really nothing special about this cover. It looks like he just drew a bunch of X-Men characters really fast, and, you know, Wolverine's in in the yellow and brown suit. That's cool. And and Jubilee is hugging his arm. That's cool. So Wolverine's on the cover. And kind of this all-inclusive X-Men cover. I do really like Adam Kubert's Banshee, which I don't think I've ever seen him draw Banshee before, or I don't remember if I have. So I thought that looked cool. This story, which was the last issue of this 
particular series of X-Men. Of course, we know we have the all-female X-Men starting up in a couple of months, I think. A month or two. Which looks pretty interesting. Pretty good. Boy, this issue, though, by... Uh, who? Let me give proper credit where... Credit is due. Open this bad boy back up. Seth Peck is the writer. Pencilers are Hefte Palo and Guillermo Mogoron. And they also ink it with the addition of Lorenzo Ruggiero. Andre Mosa is the colorist. The letter is VC's Joe Caramagna. And uh, Maury Hallwell did the cover with Andrew Kubert. This issue is pretty bad. Um, you have the X-Men fighting the new Freedom Force over a new mutant. And it's just, it's not very good. The art is not my cup of tea at all. It just looks like a really sloppy cartoon. I don't like it. Since the cover is kind of an average art for Adam Kubert, and the story is pretty lame, I'm going to give, and plus, it's the end of a series, and yes, it's starting right back up, but it's the most transitionary, one-off story that was two parts that should have been one. It's just lame. I give X-Men number 41 one out of three claws. I did not enjoy it. All right, so the last thing we have is Punisher War Zone number five. Of course, this is five of five. Chapter five is Escape. And it says this story takes place before Amazing Spider-Man 698. Oh, just clarify that this is Peter Parker, Peter Parker, and not uh, Spider-Puss. <laughs> As people have been prone to call the uh, Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man's bodies. This is our regular, normal Spider-Man. That's what that note is referring to. Is written by Greg Rucka. The art by Carmine Di John Domenico. I said that slow, but I think I got it right. I think. I hope I did. Uh, color is by Matt Hollingsworth. Letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. The cover is by Marco Cacchetto. And the cover is pretty nice. We have Punisher. In a prison jumpsuit, pants, but then the shirt is kind of hanging down, like when you're out in the yard working out in prison. And uh, so he's got his Punisher t-shirt on, he's in chains, and we have Bumblebee, Iron Man, and Captain America behind him. It's a really cool cover, I like it a lot. So basically, remember, Punisher is trying to rescue She-Punisher, because she's going to be put to death for killing cops. And so, they thought they had a ruse, the Avengers did, but it turns out Punisher hires some criminals to attack the Avengers and pretend to be the Punisher. So, Captain America's trying to figure out what's going on. And Captain America, or I'm sorry, Spider-Man got zapped by the Punisher in Iron Man's armor. And so, <laughs> Thor's like, well, how did Punisher get Iron Man's armor? And Iron Man gives him props for being smart. He says he cut the power linkage between the Stark building and the city grid just long enough to force the redundancies to engage. 
thus exploiting your weakness in the system that I am damn well going to make certain no one can ever exploit again. Says then he snuck up on Tony Stark, duct taped him up, and put him in the jam pantry. Spider Man's like, You have a pantry just for jam? Iron Man's like, Of course, don't you? <laughs> anyway, Iron Man's back in the yellow and red armor. He's fully functional. He says he really wants to spank the Punisher. It's kind of weird, but also kind of an homage to that, um, uh, the, uh, the anime, not the anime Punisher, the, the Marvel manga Punisher, which was the school, the the lady school teacher who dressed up in face paint in the Punisher room. She went around spanking people. <laughs> it's made me think of that, whether I was supposed to or not. I think I probably was. So Captain America tells Iron Man to wait until they can all assemble, which, you know, Avengers assemble, get it? And then Iron Man's like, nope. The Punisher and me are going to have some words. I've traced my armor. I'm going to go get him. And then he gets blasted because the Punisher booby-trapped the armor. And Iron Man's like, I hate this guy. <laughs> and Spider-Man's like, welcome to my world, Russ Bucket. And then Thor flies off with Captain America and Black Widow. And then we go to Rye Play- Playland and White Plains. And she, Punisher, says that the Punisher shouldn't have broke her out. She will just face her crime. And Punisher, and again, I really like the way this guy draws him with the beard and the shaggy hair. He says, we're all guilty, Sergeant. That's not what this is about. And he turns up some floorboard. He's got a big duffel bag full of weapons and body armor. And he tells her to get dressed. They don't have much time. And we have a voice from the side Less than you think. And it's Wolverine in his jacket. And remember, Captain America told him to butt out and not help the... Because he didn't know whose side he'd be on. So obviously he's going to help the Punisher and she Punisher. And he tells them that he has 10 minutes before the Avengers get there. And he says he's going to take she Punisher north and make it look like they crossed into Canada at Niagara. And then... um. He'll put it on a boat down the coast, but the Punisher has to do her part, or do his part, and he says, that's my plan. Wolverine says, that's so, because I'm looking at a lot of ordnance. So apparently the uh, the Punisher's plan is to turn himself in. That's why his, the deal with Wolverine, I guess, is that he will help her escape if the Punisher turns himself in. And Punisher basically says that he's going to, but he's not going to make it easy on him. And him and Wolverine look at each other. I like the way this guy draws Wolverine and Punisher. His characters are kind of stylized. It's definitely grown on me through the miniseries. But even from the beginning, his Wolverine and Punisher are both pretty fantastic. And so he gives she Punisher some weapons and tells them to get lost. That he's got to go face the Avengers. And she gets mad. So you're going to stay here and lose? What the hell were you thinking? You just sacrificed the whole mission for me. Why would you do that? Punisher looks down and says, The mission isn't the man, Sergeant. It never was. Now go. So uh, Wolverine walks off with Carol Alves, she Punisher. And Punisher uh, watches him leave, and then he goes off to face the Avengers. Or to get ready. No, he doesn't go off. He goes and hides to get ready for the Avengers. So Iron Man shows up first. 
he's following Spider-Man Spider-Tracer, which was on the She-Punisher's prisoner jumpsuit, which, of course, is empty and on the floor. So the Avengers realize, decide that the Punisher can't be very far. They're not that far behind him. And Iron Man says they're right, and the Punisher blows him up. <laughs> or blows up the building that Iron Man goes, was in. <laughs> and Iron Man goes, you got to get shaken up, and he goes, from the explosion, he goes, Spider-Man's never going to let me hear the end of this. And then he gets a lock on where the uh, grenade or whatever came from. And he flies at, at Punisher, but he gets all shot up. And uh, he basically says to the Punisher that, when Spider-Man first came to him, he didn't think he was worth the trouble, but now he's his main project. And the Punisher throws a smoke bomb and then shoots him in the face with armor-piercing bullets. Oh, I'm sorry, I guess they're armor... The regular bullets. They dent Iron Man's armor, but they don't really do anything. He's kind of messed up his face a little bit, so he can't see for a second. And then Spider-Man's like, So, Buckethead, you got this under control, I see. And Iron Man says he's a very good shot. I'll give him that. And Captain America takes charge. Thor finds him. And then, remember, Punisher in issue one had stolen a web shooter from Spider-Man. And he shoots Thor in the face with it. <laughs> and Black Widow starts kicking his butt. And Spider-Man swings over. He's like, you web Thor. You web Thor in the face. Which is not to say I haven't thought of doing it myself. But stop using my stuff for bad things. And he tries to web Punisher but misses. The Punisher, in an awesome panel, shoots him in the stomach with his sawed-off shotgun. Which, of course, he's just kind of stunned as he he looks at Black Punisher, looks at Black Widow, and starts running towards her. They fight. Black Widow definitely knows more martial arts. So she kind of takes him out and stuns him. And then we, suddenly there's lightning on his gun. And he kind of looks down like, what? And then Thor's hammer crashes through the gun and kind of his hand, I think. And then Iron Man shoots him with a repulsor ray in the back. And Punisher's pretty much down for the count when he reaches for a gun. Spider-Man webs him in the chest in a panel where he looks extremely hurt. He's like yelling in anguish. The Spider-Man flips over and grabs the gun. He says, you're finished. Let it end. And Punisher's like in an awesome panel with his hair in his eyes and he's sweating and he's bloody. Great, great drawn panel. Their art is awesome. He's like, no, no. And Captain America's like, yes, and you know it. Mission accomplished. Congratulations. Now you will stand down, Marine. That's an order. Punisher looks down and says, Sir, yes, sir. So I guess Iron Man was wrong. It is simplified till you die, just like Captain America thought. Then we have the bone, which is 500 meters below Lake Michigan. And Iron Man has built a prison specifically for the Punisher. It says that he can't get out and can't escape unless somebody goes to get him. Which I guess is what happens. Because some, somehow he ends up a Thunderbolts. Which is already out. Kind of ruined the end of the series. But uh, whatever. He has like some kind of cybernetic cast on his hand. So yeah, Thor's hammer did a number on his hand. 
They talk about how the weapons weren't real Punisher weapons. That he only used real bullets on Iron Man. Spider-Man says, it's funny, I don't know. For a murderer, he went out of his way to keep from hurting us. I mean, there were real bullets in, in the assault rifle, but he only ever used it on you, talking to Iron Man. Like he knew they wouldn't do anything. And Iron Man says, yeah, and rubber pellets on the shotgun. Even his pistol was unloaded. And then basically you come to the realization that he only fought them so that Cole, I'm sorry, I called her Alves earlier. I think it's Cole Alves. Anyway, so she, Punisher, could escape. And Spider-Man says, so why don't I feel like we won? Captain America says, we did it. We took him to war and take it from me. Nobody in war gets to feel like they won. So I thought that was cool. Then we see, we're in L.A., we see the Hollywood signs, and we know where we are. And there's some guys either mugging or about to rape a woman. And they get shot. And we see she Punisher. We get a little Punisher emblem in the corner. And then we get a little outro from um, Greg Rucka. Talking about how he kind of had to wrap the series up a little sooner. But they, they were grateful to get to actually give the series an ending. Course, talking about the last Punisher series that ended, and then this mini series that put a cap on it. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Like I said, as an old Punisher fan and not really much of a current reader, I really liked him in this. It was a very good Punisher story overall. I thought it was thought it was great, actually. Um, I like Wolverine. You know, it's the Wolverine podcast. I like that he helped the Punisher, but didn't just do it. I'm glad that he didn't fight the Avengers. And I'm glad that it's kind of up in the air that the Avengers may or may not know that he helped the woman escape. Because Black Widow found out that he let the Punisher get away earlier. But maybe she'll look or maybe she won't. You know, as far as whether there's any satellite surveillance of, of Wolverine walking off with the the she Punisher, I don't know. You would think if they saw it once, they would see it again. Because you know they're going to look and try to figure out what direction she went. So if there's any satellite footage at all, they're going to check it. And since they've already busted Wolverine once, yeah, I kind of feel like this series was kind of like, okay, we'll wrap up your Punisher story, Greg Rucka, because it doesn't really matter. We're going to stick him with Thunderbolts, and who knows how he got out of this bone thing. Because I flipped through the first issue of that, and he's captured by somebody else already. Like he was out on a mission and got himself in trouble, and General Ross finds him. And then, like, I don't know. To me, it's like they have to know, the Avengers have to know that Wolverine kind of betrayed him a little bit. So, why is everything so hunky dory with him and the Avengers now, after this? And all the current Marvel Now stories. Like Wolverine's just a regular card-carrying Avenger. I like his kind of tenuous relationship with the Avengers in this miniseries better than I like him being the way he's in the Avengers in Marvel Now. Like this to me makes more sense as a Wolverine fan. I think Rucka gets it more right. I'm glad, you know, in the Uncanny Avengers that Remender's at least writing it because he he definitely gets Wolverine. No doubt he's shown that for sure. 
But anyway, I enjoyed this for what it was. I wish... I wish there would be more follow-up to it. I have a feeling there's not going to be any. They just kind of get... Like, okay. Rucka got to finish his Punisher story. Now we're going to mostly ignore it. Which kind of sucks. Because it was really good. That's so good. I'm going to give Punisher Warzone number 5. 3 out of 3 claws. Um, the art is fantastic. This, the miniseries is great. Like I said, I wish it was more... I don't want to say that the Marvel doesn't think it's important. I definitely don't think they'd say that because I want to sell it. But I wish that they would show and prove that it's more important and has more ramifications in Marvel now than it, than it seems to. Because right now, based on Wolverine and the Punisher and kind of how they relate in Marvel now, it's like there's no consequences at all to the story. And that's sad. Kind of sucks. Anyway, I thought this was a fantastic miniseries. Maybe put me in touch with my inner Punisher fan, which I thought was really fun. Lots of action. It was just, it was really cool. So to end off there, Punisher Warzone number five is three out of three claws. And that should do it with Where's Logan? Okay, so that's it. I'm going to make this outro pretty short because this episode is pretty dang long. Hopefully I'll be able to uh, cut it, trim the fat and cut it down a little bit because we're like two and a half hours right now. Anyway, that was All Things Wolverine for the month of February 2013. And there was a lot. Some of it really good. Some of it uh, really good? Question mark? <laughs> when your voice goes up, it means you don't mean it. I learned that from a Sklar bro. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed. hope you didn't get too bogged down. Tried to keep the pace fairly quick on some of those books. Anyway, I lied. I was going to keep this short. So, um, email me at uh, snickcast at yahoo.com. Like us on Facebook. That's uh, Facebook slash snit podcast fan page. And follow me at Twitter, at Snickcast. I don't know what's going to be next. I'm assuming Wolverine number one comes out sometime in March. I'll probably give that one a little special episode. And I'm probably going to do um, another flashback episode. I don't know if I'll do that before or after the regular episode for March. Or if I'll have one or two regular episodes for March. But anyway, we will be back soon with something so until then, hugs and snicks. All right, bye.